<clears throat> well, <laughs> cleared my throat one one point late. This is Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations, and I took a few days off, and I hope you enjoyed hearing from Willie Birch last week. Um, I'm sure some of you it might not have uh, been your taste, but he's pretty fabulous and. And uh, the show that was uh, I wanted you to go see, I hope some of you actually got out to see the um, 10 Years Gone show at the New Orleans Museum of Art. Such a beautiful show. And Willie did, did these gorgeous, um, you know what, mud holes that the, that the crawfish use. And um, what he did was make versions of that out of brass, um, r- rather bronze. So, you know, really appreciating the architecture of the homes of our little mud bugs, our crawfish in the city, that popped up in his yard after Katrina. So there were some very rough things, and there were some very good things that came out of Katrina, and we're all dealing with them still on many levels, and even though we've passed our 10th anniversary, and some folks are kind of saying, okay, I've had it, I'm done. Other folks are no way done. And we did an opera, the Ninth Ward Improv Opera, which we performed during the 10th anniversary, that basically focused on the story of the people of the Lower Ninth Ward, which is the most devastated area in the city, hit by levees and um, breaking, uh, and and the struggles that they have been going through and are still going through, because if you go to the Lower Ninth Ward, um, you'll see, of course, a, a lot of devastated land. So... Um, it's an important story, and we felt like maybe getting away from just the policy conversations and and the, uh, the the conversations in government about things that if we dealt with it on a more emotional level within the context of music and and um, what we call opera, which is not quite what my guests with me today call opera. They their version of of opera is. Um, the real deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ours was a little bit more of a mixed media with poetry and jazz music and dancers and spoken word. But Barbara Hill Moore, who is musical director with the Southern Methodist um, uh, School, and you'll give me the better details than I'm providing, and Leon Turner, who's also an international opera singer, and Leon Turner, also an internationally recognized um, baritone, are um, part of the team that is performing and producing an opera called Waiting Back and Waiting Home. And um, Waiting Home focuses on a particular family as opposed to a whole neighborhood. And I'm fascinated when I saw an email come across my desk about it. I was kind of fascinated. Okay, how did how did these folks deal with this subject as compared with the way uh, our homegrown talent um, uh, uh, dealt with it? So I'm, I'm excited to hear from uh, Barbara and, and Leon about your performance, which will be happening this weekend only in New Orleans, Saturday and Sunday at Loyola. And guess what? I don't know how you did this, and I'm going to find out as we talk. It's free. You can go and see this robust, incredible performance, and it's not going to cost you anything. I was going to give away tickets, and then she said, oh, no, it's free. I don't know how you did that. I'm curious to hear about it, because we're all in New Orleans trying to figure out how to fund the things that we try to do here. Barbara, introduce yourself. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. As always, I love New Orleans, and I love the people. 
in New Orleans. So we are honored to be here talking with people of New Orleans this morning. I'm Barbara Hillmore from Southern Methodist University in Dallas, where I'm a professor of voice. And Leon Turner is a former student of mine who is now my very dear and beloved colleague and like a son to me. So this is a special occasion for both of us, and we're looking forward to the performances. You started a bit to talk about your own opera. I uh, forget the name of it. Can you tell Ninth me again? Ninth Ward Improv Opera. Ninth Ward Improv Opera. And our opera is Wading Home. Wading Home comes from the novel Wading Home, written by a colleague of mine, Rosalind Story. Uh, Rosalind happens to be an African-American female violinist with the Fort Worth Symphony, already a very rare thing. Um, and she's been there for a number of years. She'd probably get a little upset if I said decades. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but she's a fabulous uh, violinist, but she's also an author of uh, four books now, three novels. And, uh, wow. yeah, yeah, and she's written uh, this story of a family struggle, a normal human condition way before with with interesting issues before the um, floods and uh, things that were devastated by the conditions and the devastation of Katrina. And so it's an interesting story. Maybe Leon liked to tell you a bit about it. Leon, why don't you? <laughs> well, um, as I have you know, learned from uh, being a part of the uh, production, that uh, Fortiers are, you know, somewhat of a very close uh, family, and the struggles that uh, happen, of course, um, when they separate, you know, during uh, Katrina, Julian, who's uh, <coughs> the character that I'm playing, is actually out to find his father, and uh, Sylvia uh, as well, who is his uh, his second wife. Um, and they are just sort of horrified by all of the possibilities that could that could possibly be that you know he they may not find him or they you know could possibly find him. So as, as they go through, it's sort of a a happy ending. You know, they end up uh, uh, finding him, and um, of course, you know, when Simon is is happy, then his thing is cooking, and his favorite uh, dish was. Uh, uh, red beans and rice. So you'll hear sort of that uh, uh, statement being made, you know, throughout the uh, throughout the opera. Actually, you we should identify the characters of this story. This is the story beginning with the father Simon Fortier, who is a famous New Orleans chef, and his he's retired. And he refuses to evacuate um, and stays in his home during the storm. And the conditions were the absolute worst. Uh, and we, his son, who is a musician and has left home to live in New York, um, 
is estranged from his father for that very reason. His father thinks he should stay in New Orleans and play his trumpet, and Julian thinks New Orleans is a kind of no-end place to be. And so he's has moved to New York and during the devastation of the flood learns um, that his father is lost, that uh, the, his home is completely destroyed, and uh, sets out for home to try to find his father, um, whom we learn in the process of the opera, is in a hospital in Baton Rouge in a coma. So it's a very serious uh, struggle for the father. It's a serious struggle for the son who has no way to know where his father is because everybody here knows what the telephone situation was. And uh, so he has no way to find his father, doesn't know uh, his condition, and his father is is reliving all the mistakes he made as a parent. We all make them um, in not nurturing a better understanding of his son's own desires and life. And so this mm. story plays out uh, in the opera, and, it, and it's beautifully written. And I must say, it is not unlike your own opera in that we do have dancers, we do have jazz. We do have old hymns, Just to Close a Walk with Thee, and um, others that play out throughout the opera. So there are lots of memories and lots of points um, that are familiar to everybody. And I think what happened when we first did it in Dallas was that well, first of all, we were thrilled by our very diverse uh, audience of opera goers. Which is not easy to achieve. It isn't. It, it's not easy to achieve that diversity in any art form. Absolutely. So that's so important. There were people from every part of the community. Churches poured out. And, and then there were, you know, real aficionados, opera goers who get why they invest in opera. And so there was... There was a wonderfully diverse audience, and there were not um, there was not an absence of moments where people raised their hands and said, "Thank you, God, and thank you, Jesus." And it was really emotional. Um, it was extremely emotional, and at as the was end, our performance. Yeah. yeah, at the end, I mean, people were just overwhelmed. They just stood uh, immediately, spontaneously, and people wept, and it was a fabulous. Uh, experience for for the artists um, and you know for my students who were participating. This is not only for young professionals, but it's also uh, young people still in school, making up the people of New Orleans. And um, I think many of them had never been into Louisiana, heaven forbid, all the way to New Orleans. And so they were reading the story, they were understanding the story, but they were not seriously relating until they started to say those words over and over again. And the emotion of the people in the audience uh, was so overwhelming because in Dallas we still have over a 100,000 people who have relocated. They have made Dallas their homes. And so it's, you know, we are not unfamiliar with the struggle. In my own parish church, um, 
in Plano, we have a number of families that have uh, located just outside of Dallas where I live. And I worked with a few young people who were students at Xavier and whose parents became so concerned that they relocated and continued and completed their education with me in Dallas. So a number of us volunteered in all kinds of ways, but there was such a sense of helplessness in Texas that we were so close and yet so far away uh, that we could only give things and money, and we and we wanted to be here. Many of my friends came and did Habitat, but we, we just wanted to put hands on and to let people know uh, that people who were seeing those faces on television were more than just touched, more than just moved, and more than just feeling a sense of hopelessness. We wanted to do something. And uh, I think that that's one of the reasons my friend Rosalind's story came here, worked so long with Habitat, and then wrote this novel. She just she had to write something to express what she was seeing and feeling, and it is absolutely beautifully set in the music by Mary Alice Rich, another female violinist who was formerly with the Dallas Symphony and became ill and put her music talents uh, together in the writing of this. And Mary Alice has done a fabulous job of touching the human spirit with her beautiful melodies, which Donnie Ray Albert, who is singing the role of Simon Fortier, sings just so compellingly. And Donnie Ray Albert, if, if I'm mistaken, not mistaken, is, is from here? Is from he, he was born here, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was born here and he grew up later in Baton Rouge, went to school at LSU before mm-hmm. coming to SMU where he completed his graduate studies there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, but he is a native of, of uh, New Orleans and his family roots go way back and his wife's family is from New Orleans and they will be in attendance. Mm-hmm. So, But of course we have people coming from Germany, from Florida, from Carolinas for these performances. So I urge you all to get out there on Saturday night at 7.30 because it's open and free and all you have to do is come in and claim your seat. And on Sunday afternoon after church at 3 o'clock, open again. And and we just, we want to know you. We want to see you. We want to touch you in many ways. And I hope you'll attend the performances. Well, despite the fact that Barbara just gave a very thorough a speech <laughs> <laughs> uh, coverage, I still have a lot of questions because, you know, opera is an, is a, is an art form that is um, – not embraced by everybody. Um, uh, there's, a, first of all, a tendency to assume that it is uh, purely classical and historic in its content. And um, and quite frankly, I'm only a um, a medium opera follower because I'm not that interested in the older um, historic operas. I like the contemporary ones, and they're a little harder to come by. Yeah. And um, so uh, I, I've made a point of, of chasing them down whenever they're uh, um, available to me. I'm originally from New York, and I was working in New York in the 90s, so I would 
head up to the Met um, without a ticket and, and hope to <laughs> catch one from a scalper outside. Well, and, and I'm sure you did many times. <laughs> I did, and um, and went to and, and, and exposed myself to uh, mm. an art form that was not part of my growing up, and and it is not part of the growing up. I would say of most. Um, youth in New Orleans, and um, considering how rich our culture is and how powerful and emotional our music is, you would think that there would be more contemporary opera in in the city. And, well, and this is this, this is very unusual in that it incorporates jazz. It does incorporate the spoken word, which is rare. Um, it does, as I say, employ the spirituals and hymns that we all know and love, and it's set in a very beautiful way. There are slides. There's a slide presentation, so people not only hear, but they see while they're listening what people are singing about. And the most exciting thing is it's in our own language because most people grow up thinking of opera as something they can't understand immediately. And the very most important thing about this is it's about us in our own language and with our own uh, forms of art that we all have nurtured and loved. It's an opera written about and for black singers, and there are very few of those. And so, uh, yeah, there are very few operas Mm -hmm. just written to to show the the black artists. And so this is about a black family um, in, uh, you know, the lower ninth, and it's really the serious business. You know, it's, it's not it's it's not pretentious. I'm going to have to um, I'm going to send an email to all of the people who participated in our production because again, without we we actually thought about doing the kind of visuals that you're talking about. We didn't end up doing that. We we used these maps that showed the city coming back as our visual, more for um, financial reasons than anything else, but um, it's going to be really interesting for them to experience. Of course, the Opera Creole um, members who participated in our opera um, uh, are, are obviously familiar with, with both, but I, I, I want to take a step back because, again, you know, um, one of the things that uh, I focus on in, in my organizational world as opposed to my radio world is um, is encouraging youth to recognize, understand, and um, and and believe in themselves and their potential in with creative careers. It's a tough thing to make that leap that you can actually make a living and pursue a career in the arts, much less opera, much less as a black. Youth. So, Leon, I want to know how you made that move. Well, I um, when I, when I started years ago, I came from a, a family of uh, singers. My mother was a wonderful, uh, is a wonderful singer, and my father uh, as well. Um, and I'm, how I'm many were there? I'm from a family of fi- it was fifteen of us. <laughs> oh, I think everyone. that's significant. <laughs> Goodness, it is. <laughs> So uh, music was a very important part of my life, but not opera. I grew up singing, you know, gospel music, uh, playing gospel music on the bass guitar. And I actually started at 
when I got my first official lesson uh, under uh, Louis Neighbors at uh, University of Louisiana Monroe, and I heard what you know he was doing and uh, the beautiful singing, uh, and I thought, okay, I think I can do this too, and I started to really put uh, a lot of effort into it, um, which you know, at that point you know I was kind of hooked. Once I you know, started studying opera, I felt like it was a way for me to just sort of um, become someone else without exposing myself, so to speak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, after, you know, wonderful uh, years at uh, University of Louisiana Monroe, then I went to uh, Southern Methodist University and I studied with uh, uh, Professor Moore, which, you know, was a wonderful experience there. The environment, uh, it was, you know, it was basically, it was totally different from where I was used to. Um, the the work ethic was, you know, it mm. was it, it was at an all-time yeah. high. And I certainly enjoyed being in that environment because I, I feel like it just sort of it really uh, brought out, you know, quite a bit. Uh, but that work ethic, just from listening to Barbara, um, obviously comes from a very um, passionate place. I mean, it really takes yes. passion. Passion drives work ethic. And I commitment. Think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. commitment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Leon, as a student, was very committed. This was certainly clear. He had to learn, as all students do, um, how to structure that that passion and on how to bring discipline to his study, and he learned it very quickly because he he's, was is very intelligent and a very determined person. And there's no lack of passion in my life. <laughs> I, I can so I can tell he that didn't have a chance. Your opening words. <laughs> he didn't have a chance, and neither do any of my other students. And frankly, I say to them, if you if you're just coming for an easy ride, let me refer you to someone else because I'm not the teacher for you. I love what I do. I am a teacher who sings, and there's a great difference in a person who is committed to education first than a person who has been on the stage for most of his life who just relaxes into education or becomes or develops or t- looks for a nice place to fall. And I'm not mad at them. I'm just saying that isn't me. I, you know, I grew up passionate about education. My mother was, my parents were, and I try to give that back to my my singers. I say, whatever it is you're going to do, you have to absolutely go at it with your whole heart. But so again, um, again, it, it, you know, determination is one thing, and going up against the odds, mm-hmm. yes, is another. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I, I guess it, it generally again, determination is such an important ingredient in dealing with those odds. And sometimes dealing with those odds really is a is a part of. Um, uh, you know, driving the determination. <clears throat> in fact, I often say when uh, I'm asked about the post-Katrina era in the city, which I lived through, I actually evacuated because I'm sort of a weather nut, and I was watching what was going on uh, on the satellite, and, you know, I, I decided this was for real and um, got myself and my family and my pets and everybody out. And um, I'm somewhat critical, actually, of people who didn't leave or who left parents behind, you know, I, which I, I think, think is about unforgivable. That. I think about that, um, and 
the year before, I think there was a warning and nothing happened. And so I think more people were kind of thinking along the lines of it would be not the just same one. Thing. <laughs> we had several of those. Uh-huh. Yeah, we had a, a whole well, they hit parade North Carolina, and my daughter was in school there, and a long way from Texas, and we were just very upset and worried. Yeah. In fact, they they were like quarantined in the dorms. They couldn't move for more than two days. Trees all around them, all over the campus. This year she was at Duke. And they, the, a tree, 200-year-old tree right in front of her dormitory fell down and, and um, changed the structure in the building they were in. So I knew it was serious. And, and when they just kept predicting it, we were very worried. Yeah, uh, we were very worried for our friends here. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And and our friends, we had friends all along the Gulf Coast, Pensacola and all down uh, that way, Mm -hmm. who are coming to the performance, by the way, Saturday and Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Saturday, not at 7.30 and Sunday afternoon at 3. But you were asking about the cost and how we came to do this. So uh, let, let me back up, and, and my question is, yes, how, what was the um, the seed for for this, and whose conviction was it to make this um, opera happen? Um, and then, yes, how um, how did you finance it? Because that was a big question for us. We we did a Kickstarter. To it's pay for tough. ours. It's just tough. And that was, I don't know if you've ever done one of those, but that's that's brutal. Because, it is brutal. Because, you know, you if you have to make a certain amount, and if you don't, you yeah. know, you're in trouble. And you don't, um, you know, uh, really have a... a, have a uh, you, you, there's the possibility that you won't raise if, if you don't raise a certain amount, you don't get any at all. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and 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 we don't have any big sources of funding in in Louisiana. It's very we don't have any big sources either in Dallas. I'm not saying there are, or there isn't big money in Dallas. There's big money right here in New Orleans. What people choose to do with it is the issue. Uh, but for us, the very first production, Rosalind Story uh, got a Sphinx grant. Um, and it, this is through musicians helping people in the community and so on. And she, she got a $40,000 Sphinx grant for her first production. And then we started to talk with Giovanna Joseph about bringing it to New Orleans. She proposed that Opera Creole might sponsor such a venture, but it didn't get off the ground. So I just... You have no idea how hard it is to raise money. I do have some idea. (laughs) Trust me. I do. And uh, so what happened is I just... My heart was so going toward the idea that we should come that I just couldn't let it go. And so I just got, you know, started a begging campaign. I wrote letters and um, I went and appealed really strongly to my dean. And then I bugged him again and then you know, when he started to avoid me in public places, I knew (laughs) that I had to think of something else but I did it a third time. And finally, he's, he wrote me saying, you know, I should rather say no to you, but I'm going to say that under this condition, this condition, and that one, I will give you a sizable grant. Uh, and in fact... So it came from the university. Not all. Not even half. 
Mm-hmm. So he he got us but he started. Got a, but a, but a, but a, a, a sizable grant a from huge, the university was yes, a was a yes. starting point. That's interesting because I hadn't really thought about uh, working with one of the universities here. Well, I wanted the experience for yeah. my students. I wanted them to do something other than read about tragedy and history. I wanted them to try to experience it, to try to be touched and to touch. Uh, through this music and through music education and through their lives as artists. So I have a, a foundation called the Foot Foundation. The Foot Foundation and the New Orleans Foundation, the Roots of Music, will benefit when people come and decide if they want to donate. Mm -hmm. Uh, They benefited from the last time. But through my own foundation, I decided, okay, we don't have the money now, but maybe I could appeal to our donors uh, to give to the foundation and therefore support my students coming here to do this work with the students of Loyola, with the Chalmette I think that's the way you pronounce Chalmette. it. Chalmette. schools. Mm-hmm. Um, young uh, singers from the Chalmette schools. Annelise Kassar uh, is their director. Um, but we have a large group of people. There will be over 100 people on that stage. And um, wow. special orchestra from uh, SMU. Dancer from New York. Um, uh, Jamal Story, who... Uh, was the choreographer and principal dancer in uh, Color Purple uh, in New York uh, on Broadway. So we're a big organization, but I just, we just all got to work and hunkered down and got on one knee to people and bugged them and bugged them and bugged them. And here we are. In fact, we had a seed uh, grant um, proposal and uh, uh, we were until last night, almost midnight, not knowing if we were going to get that last grunt from from him, and we did. But we appealed to people in New Orleans, by the way, banks and people with money who were just a little bit indifferent, but we were not deterred because money isn't everything. No, but it, 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 it took that effort. It took that effort. <laughs> it so helps. over what period of time did you did you did this campaign go on? From the 1st of June till now. You're no, kidding. No, from the 1st of July till now. Um, but 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 you had performed the opera before in We performed Dallas. it in April. In April. But we started to raise money at the 1st of July. Uh, I thought I was somebody who did things <laughs> like this. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's when actually we started um, our uh, – I had wanted to do the Kickstarter campaign in April, and for various reasons we backed off. We didn't actually do it until July, and I was panicky because – if we didn't pull yeah. in, and, and we operated on such a different level from you. I mean, yeah. you know. Um, uh, it was a $50,000 budget, and we, we just were like 5000 short till this morning. So I don't know where we are at this moment, but we're just praying <laughs> about it. You know, well, our, it's not our, in our hands yeah, right our, now. Our budget was, was more like, I, don't, I actually don't know at this moment what the final budget was. We still, we did two performances, by the way. We did Wonderful. one in a church mm-hmm. and we did one in a community, a brand new community center. And um, so we, we started out raising money for one performance and we wind up having to do two. So basically all of the money that we raised, which, which we thought would extend for a while, wound up uh, 
pretty much covering the mm-hmm. um, just these two performances. Wow. So um, that's a it, blessing. In it the was, end, it's it was just, tough. It's, it was it, just it really tough. tough. And it takes and so now we're trying to raise energy. money to do a film mm. uh, on based on the um, opera. We shot, um, uh, we did a um, four camera shoot yes. uh, with a, a fabulous uh, cinematographer, William Sabarin, who is from Cuba mm. and lives here and uh, has been working with us on a number of things. That's and, wonderful. And uh, now we're actually, when I leave you today, <laughs> I'll be working on a grant due Monday um, mm. that I don't. I don't know that we're really competitive for because um, mm. it's we're, we're not filmmakers. But try but everything. We're going to try everything. Yeah, just try everything. Yeah. And try the National Endowment. You sure Endowment. you don't want to move here and spend some time in New Orleans? We can use of your course not, good. <laughs> I love New Orleans. I love it. Leon, I want to come back to you again. On, on, I'm still sort of working this this issue of that, that um, decision that you made to actually pursue opera. Aside from this production, you're doing a lot of other, uh, again, more traditional and and um, operas that have um, an international um, uh, uh, place in the in the landscape of of the um, opera world. Uh, and 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 tell me how, when you walk in the door for an audition for a, a role in an opera, and they see you. Tell me about that moment. You know what I'm saying. You know, I I guess I in some cases I um, I kind of tried try to read the minds of the the, the panelists, um, kind of you know read their reactions. I, I know it's probably something that I should not do, but you know I I tried you know to try to gauge you know some possibilities if they like you know what I'm doing. Um, I when I walk in, I just my thinking is to show them what I can do and let them make the decision based on what they hear and see uh, from me. So, uh, I mean, I was, I was always taught to be wherever, whenever you go, uh, whenever you sing, always be at your very best because you never know who's listening. And that's, that's sort of my approach whenever I go, um, whenever I perform. I always want to be at my best, and if I if I'm pleased with what I do, then I, I kind of feel like you know the others who hear it you know will uh, appreciate it as well because you know I guess I'm one of my biggest uh, critics, next to Professor Moore. <laughs> <laughs> who are some of the Who are some of the um, <clears throat> uh, singers, whether opera or or not pop? Um, that you admire, that you respect for their talent and their um, commitment to their art? If I have to choose a pop singer, it would be um, R&B singer Stevie Wonder. And I had the um, the pleasure of hearing Stevie Wonder this past summer hmm. uh, in Houston. And I must say that it was you know, really beautiful singing that he did. Um, I was, I'm convinced that, you know, certainly he studied and he studied very well. Um, he also, there was a, a, a song that he did and he actually, he Rabbit. was, he was in tears when he finished the song. So he had, mm. he had to just sort of take a moment to gather himself. And wow. that to me, that was, that was quite touching. I'd never seen that, uh, in all of the concerts that I've attended. I'd never seen seen any performer who sing who sang that way 
from the heart, and he certainly did that. What was the song? Um, actually, I don't I don't remember uh, mm -hmm. which one uh, it was, mm -hmm. but I mean he was just going. Was it one of his old standards hit. or a new yes, one? Yes, mm -hmm. it, it was. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know who Leon's voice reminded me of when he was a student. And I'm certainly dating myself, but Joe Williams. Mm. Um, I'm you know I grew up in a household my my parents and I have roots here in New Orleans, my husband too, but their parents and their parents' parents loved jazz. And so my dad had all those old, uh, big, what do you call them, I, I, 78s. Albums, the albums, um, the old albums. Yeah, and... Uh, my father too, I, yeah, gr I grew up we, listening to the I Hot Five. To, uh, Billy Eckstein <laughs> and those oh, guys. Yeah. And that's, Leon's voice reminded me so much of Joe Williams' in his youth, in the early part of his singing, where he was really more like a bass baritone and less like a bass as his voice, as he got older, his voice dropped a bit, mm. not so much uh, because it was dropping naturally, but because of, you know, the environment, singing and smoke and things like that does affect you. Mm. Uh, so, mm. But Leon's voice is so beautiful and mellifluous. Oh, so, Come okay. on out on Saturday uh, uh, night. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, so I'm going to, you know, ask the, the um, uh, unacceptable question, but I can't resist. Is there a line or two from the opera that you would be willing to sing for us? <laughs> right. I know you're not supposed to do that. Oh, sure. But I, I, I just can't resist. <laughs> the one that, uh, that comes back over and over again. There you are. Is it really you? Of his love, you sure, know, Zelmira, sure. who, uh, in fact, he has his own story with this girl. Uh, she has gotten pregnant and didn't tell him when he left to go to New York. And the baby uh, lived a very short time but died of because he had a hole in his heart. But the story is also that Julian, the role Leon sings, also was born with a hole in his heart. So when he hear, hears about his son um, dying in his absence without him knowing, this is a very touching moment. And so this recurring melody he just sang, there you are, he, he whenever he sees her, he says, there you are. And whenever he thinks of his leaving her and losing his son, he sings that. So... It's really touching. So I won't ask whether you find her, <laughs> because well, yeah. there is a there is a reunion, big big now, reunion, <laughs> big reunion. <laughs> have to have are love. Giving, wait, are we giving the story away now? <laughs> a little bit. Okay, I don't. You know, I, I want to leave well, surprises. Not totally. For... There's you know there, there's 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 a lot of uh, there are a lot of wonderful things that are happening. Yeah. And um, the storytelling, so uh, it's very <laughs> enjoyable. And I must say, the um, when I was asked to do this, I could not um, make a decision. But when I finally had time to, to sit and, and go through the music, 
because of the beauty of it and the words that kind of spoke to me, I thought, you know, this is a, uh, a great thing for me to do. And so here I am. I, I think that this is just, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny how things, I, I get a million emails from people on all kinds of uh, things. And, and, you know, sometimes I pay attention and sometimes I don't, which is true for everybody. But uh, there was just something, aside from the fact that, you know, we had done an opera in a, re in a related subject, a, a little bit different, not dealing so much with um, uh, an individual family drama as much as, as people in the neighborhood. And by the way, part of our opera, um, I think you saw the video. I, don't, I probably, did. Leon, you have probably Very haven't seen it yet. But yeah. uh, people from the audience who were citizens who experienced things are asked to testify. Oh, yeah, I talk. saw that. And uh, I literally had one of my friends tell me that at that point she literally had to walk out of the opera because it was just too much for her. It was yeah. overwhelming to hear that. So um, it's it, to, to, to take these experiences that we've had um, lately and, uh, and, and, and try to um, resolve them. You know, mm. there's still a lot of resolving. Of course, uh, because that's because the so human many... side of it that you are not in control of, just as the nature side is. But I think something Leon is too modest and much of a gentleman to say <laughs> is that all of the artists who are here singing, um, Donnie Ray Albert, Don, uh, Donnie is a Grammy Award winning yeah, uh, baritone, uh, Bronwyn Forbay. Leanne Turner, these singers, all of the participants are giving their time. They are not being paid one penny. Oh, my, that's how you they, did it. They are giving. I paid my. Oh, I can't giving see, can't do that time. here. Well, that's. You ask me how people said, I said, we don't have any money, but we'll take you there and we'll feed you and house you. And they all said yes. So we have, you know, 50 people coming on a bus right now as I'm talking to you because they were willing to do that. And then uh, two or three of the principals and the principal pianist are flying here. They're paying their own way. They're contributing their talent. Well, because we couldn't get <laughs> Bank of America and pay banks that could afford to help us do this to help us. So everybody is coming of their own means and they're giving of their talents without compensation. So I want New Orleans to just pack that house <laughs> Saturday night, 7.30, and Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. She's doing a better well job done. than I do. <laughs> I mean, here we are. We're coming from a long way to say we love you. We you see, I have we, to I have to tell you now. I have to share something with you. Yeah, I, and and I, we so appreciate those sentiments. But just so you know, and you won't probably be surprised at this. Um, there's there's mixed feelings well, in, in New Orleans about are. people from the outside. That's one of the reasons with our opera, we were so determined that everybody in it, of production, mm -hmm. performing, mm -hmm. direction, all of us are all from New Orleans because they're during during the especially after the initial years after the storm it comes from really the contractors 
it's 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 not so much about um, performers like mm. you and writers mm. and so on, mm. but it was it's more about the contractors who were national companies for the most part who got a lot of the work and a lot sure. of the money and and then we had um, and not all were very good either. Right, not um, all, not all. I mean, a lot of good work was done, but definitely it was. It, it's an issue for us yeah. um, here about. And then a, a lot of people came here also, and and um, you know, kind of mined the situation mm. and wrote things, mm. and um, so uh, you know, uh, there was a little bit of resentment of you know people getting their PhDs off our tragedy, so to speak. So uh, just so you know that there is no, this kind of you um, don't profess to know the whole story of the devastation of this city or the way people felt. We cannot know that, but we can express what we feel and what we saw and and what we experienced through our families who live here and our own personal attachment. I am sure Rosalind would be the first to say she didn't write that book because she thought she knew what people were feeling, but she was down here working with Habitat, and she was experiencing, too. She mm-hmm. was pulling out people's uh, treasured memories and and digging out trash and working on new homes and so on, mm-hmm. and she maybe didn't know how the people felt who were here while it was happening, but she certainly had feelings to be expressed, and I think that's and very that's what it's yeah. about. And and we and and people know that, and and we appreciate that without a doubt. But um, I, I just wanted to. Uh, no, we, I, I know, know I have people in the audience easy. who I'm surprised haven't called in already <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to voice this this um, perspective because it is something that uh, we have lived with here. We um, just want to uplift people mm-hmm. and let them know through this music so beautifully written, that there were people who were feeling things too and thinking of them at the same time. That's the reason we insisted on giving it free. We're not asking to take more from New Orleans. Mm -hmm. We just want to share something. And I think that's the idea. Barbara, tell me something. You mentioned um, that there are families from New Orleans that are living near you. And many of us are kind of curious about the folks who aren't back. We we know in many cases people cannot come back. Their jobs are gone. Yes. Their homes are gone. Their um, the, the financial formulas that were used uh, by the bureaucrats, um, uh, some of them are very helpful and, and did help people come back, and, and others became obstacles. Yeah. And so um, tell me what your um, perception is of the of the families that are um, living by you. Are they still pining for New Orleans, or are they living a new life that um, they have accepted and moved on? And, and I think it's some of both. You know, um, some of the people who were uh, in my neighborhood, my, my parish neighborhood, um, were saying that they were happy to be there because they had a better job and better situation for their children. Um, the older people were saying they missed home, but they, and in the way that you expressed it so well, they accepted that it was another life and what God intended for them for whatever reason 
and many people were closer to their families. They moved to be closer to their families. They left here coming to uh, be near where their families were. Had moved and, to Texas yes, previously. Already. Uh-huh. And that that was the case. In most mm. cases, it was simply about work. Mm. And that they had lost their homes and there was nothing to come back to. And they were lucky to get a job. And that's what it was about. I don't think anybody who ever lived in New Orleans could go anywhere else and want to just forget it. I don't think and you can forget it. No, no. You just and, can't. Uh, uh, and, and then of the people who um, uh, were living in the community accepting these folks from New Orleans – into their lives. I mean, New Orleans, we definitely have a different style. Colorful. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different style. Fabulous so, colorful. so how, how, how did that work? How, what was the reaction of people to, you know, the red beans the and rice adju- style? Well, the b- big adjustment was the people themselves who had to move, not so much those around the, uh, them who, who had to look, because there are all kinds of folks in Texas right now. I mean, coming from everywhere, you'd be surprised. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm even more surprised because when I first moved there 40 years ago, it seemed like there were only a very, very few black people in a very small area really? of the city. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. But now they're just people from every continent. And and that's a wonderful thing in my mm-hmm. view, mm-hmm. in my view. So, yeah, the people of New Orleans, I think, they just moved right on in and, uh, you know, they shared their recipes and moved on. But I've been making red beans and rice and gumbo and etouffee and so on all my life. So, <laughs> And well, I, I never lived in New Orleans. Now, so. now, now here's, here's where <clears throat> we, we, we share some characteristics. Um, the passion, the promotional uh, capacity, the commitment, um, you know, I, I I won't uh, talk too much about myself because my viewer, my listeners uh, have no, been hearing <laughs> about this over the years. But um, we um, we we definitely share that. One thing we don't share is making red beans and rice. I can't make beans. Get out of here. It's one of my frustrations in life. I do everything oh, you're no. supposed to do. I soak them the night before. You know, I skim them. I was told don't season them until late. You know, I have a friend actually who now lives in in uh, near Dallas, mm. who um, she's a very wealthy woman, but she loves to cook and she cooks her own. She makes the most delicious beans in the universe, and I watched her carefully went home and tried to do it, and well, uh, my beans just come out in them. hard. <laughs> they don't soften up. <laughs> they don't me, soften. They don't soften. Oh That's the thing. I mean, I well, can make. The pot you're using or whatever. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand it. I really don't. It drives me nuts. And, and um, I hate to admit this. Okay, there's people out there. Now they know the truth about me. Gene, they can't make red beans. Uh, something tells me you can make other things quite well. I can't. I, I make the best barbecued shrimp in the city of New Orleans. Okay, well. That almost and I, I want someone to prove me wrong. Go ahead. You all out there try to prove me wrong. You know, I can talk to you guys forever. I am so excited about this performance. As I said, I was going to be out of town, but I'm staying in town to go Saturday Great. night at Green 7.30 company. at Loyola. Now, you know, getting into Loyola is not the easiest thing in the world. Isn't it? I have parking. been there yet. I'm well, going today. <laughs> you know, you're in an area where there's two universities really yeah, right Tulane next to each other, Tulane and, and Loyola. Uh-huh. So I'm wondering about ex- 
exactly where on the campus this is well, and where cool. people are going to park. That's always my issue with helping people go some places. Uh, I want to tell them how to park. But well, this is something, unfortunately, you can't I cannot answer. do from Texas. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know. Maybe I Lee, have no idea where maybe, I'll park. Maybe Lee Hardy can send me an email telling me where people can park around Loyola because I, I don't know what to – I mean, you know, you're just going to have to park on the streets basically, but um, – uh, I don't know. Maybe somebody will call in and tell me, how do you park around Loyola? Maybe it's one of your fans who's listening to this. I want to take just the last few minutes of the show and mention something interesting that's happening in St. Bernard. You know, um, I know our signal reaches St. Bernard, right, Lee? Okay. So just wanted to make sure. But, um, you know, St. Bernard is an area that's viewed from the standpoint of St. Bernard Highway, which is kind of one big, long strip mall, right? But right off St. Bernard Highway is beautiful natural settings. And in one of those settings, I recently worked with the owner of the property to develop a um, crevasse 22, we call it, and it's a sculpture garden and a museum called the River House. And in the museum right now is a show called The Spirit of the People of St. Bernard. And it is, again, it's portraits of... of uh, very wide variety of people, and also uh, did three Sundays in a row, interviewed a variety of people there, and so it's also video interviews. And so I'm hoping that people will enjoy going to see that show, which happens on the weekends. It's open from 11 to 4. It's um, it's on Sarrow Lane. It's called River House, and you just head down St. Bernard Highway. It only takes about a half an hour, and uh, we always have a little something for you to nosh on there. So um, it's something I want to encourage people to do. But the news that I want to deal with is that, um, again, people think of St. Bernard in terms of that highway, but guess what? The public officials and the community there have determined that they want to create an arts and entertainment district in the old Araby area. Now, Araby is the, the community in St. Bernard that is closest to New Orleans, and it's actually right next door to the Lower Ninth Ward. It's right on the other side of the barracks. And the grid is actually very similar to our New Orleans grids because it, as one time in history, was actually part of New Orleans. And so there's a, a, a lot of discussion about this going on right now, and I believe that a vote is imminent, possibly as soon as... Um, next week. Um, so I kind of want to encourage people who are interested in the idea of an arts district, which, you know, an arts, it's called a arts, cultural, and entertainment district. Now, those of us in New Orleans who have worked with this idea know that it, it can work sometimes, as it has in the warehouse district, and other times it, it can, it can um, kind of evolve into something uh, somewhat different. So, you know, Frenchman Street is also, believe it or not, an arts district, but as we all know, it's it's become a kind of club central with a lot of great, wonderful music and jazz, of course, as well. But so uh, you may want to communicate with the City Planning Commission um, or, or I guess really the St. Bernard Council if you support this idea and um you know, it essentially uh, starts um, around uh, Government Street and uh, continues, you know, where St. Claude turns into St. Bernard Highway. Just, you take this very marked, um, it, it, it 
diverts to the left and is right near a big railroad crossing. Well, that area to either side of it for several blocks is, is, is the heart of the district. And I'm not an expert on this, and, and I had hoped to get somebody to call into the show who was um, not able to. But um, it's going to favor um, art galleries, artist communities, art studios, um, things like uh, bakeries, cultural facilities of all varieties, maybe um, new uh, some of these new breweries that are a big part of our lives today, coffee shops, of course, that kind of thing, farmers markets, um, delicatessens. They're really looking to grow that area into an attractive uh, part of St. Bernard that will appeal to this huge arts population we have in our city um, all over, um, really, in in all of the neighborhoods in New Orleans now. Not one single neighborhood in the city of New Orleans, can, can I say, doesn't have something of a, of a, a cultural assets and resources. And, um, I mean, we, we say often here it's on the streets, it's in our homes, it's, it's a very much intrinsic part of our life here. It's not just on the stage. In fact, our opera, when we do our Ninth Ward opera, we do it in the audience. I mean, we literally do it right on the floor next to the audience. makes it a little harder to see the dancers, but um, I prefer that than to being up on the stage uh, for us because we're not an up-on-the-stage city. We really, uh, it's in the streets. However, supporting it is a big issue here, too, and um, again, most people who listen to my show and know me know uh, that, um, like you, I keep begging and begging for more funding, uh, Barbara, uh, for the arts. I don't arts. mind it. It's not for me, so <laughs> yeah. I don't mind it. Yeah, I think when you're asking for something that's going to benefit somebody else, it's different to ask. And I know what it's going to do for all of our students, what an education it is for them to to learn the music, to share the music, and to learn about the, the community here and visit Ninth Ward and all the things we're going to do. It's an education for them. You know, one thing that you might want to think about, and we'll talk about this after the show, uh, I really wish there was a way. We used to have um, what was called like a cultural communique, in a sense, for the schools. Uh, that was somebody who reached out to the schools and told them about things that were going on. We don't really have that right now, but we do mm-hmm. have people who are involved in the cultural arts in our schools. And uh, let's talk after um, this about how we can maybe get a notice out to them. Because wouldn't it be wonderful if we got a lot of New Orleans um, students Children. who have, you know, the talent and the capacity. Sure, uh, we want to encourage them. Yeah, to come to the CD Art opera. is a way of expressing everything you feel. And it's it's a wonderful gift to have if they have it. So, one last time, you get your promotional moment. We are talking about an opera called Waiting Home. Um, it is being performed at Loyola University in the Russell Hall. So, I guess GPS it, guys, if you don't know exactly where that is. I'm going to have to do that because I've been there, but I forget. And um, it's at 7.30 on Saturday night and then after church, as you said, 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Yes. And um, Barbara and Leon, I am just so thrilled. Your your voice um, alone uh, is yeah. going to bring me up there. Thank and he's so good much. looking, too. He <laughs> certainly <laughs> is. <you>. As <laughs> are you. As are you. This was a pleasure, y'all. I really enjoyed it. And... Um, I hope to see you all up there at Loyola this weekend, guys. We hope to and see you. <laughs> um, 
I will be back next Thursday at 10 o'clock. This is Gene Nathan's Crosstown Conversations. And there's my theme song, It Ain't My Fault. Uh Uh-uh, it ain't my fault.